We've seen in John's first letter that the sort of the motto of the world, the attitude of the world is what's made is all we've got and it's all we need. We don't need the maker because we have what he made and we can make do with that. That's the world's attitude ultimately toward God and it affects the world's attitude toward everything else. When that's your underlying attitude that I can make it with what's been made, when that's your underlying attitude, if someone else has something good that you can't live without, then you take it from them and hang the costs. And that might be in some concrete, identifiable way like Grand Theft Auto. And it might be in some way that that can be thinly veiled to look very Christian, like sacrificing someone's reputation in the disguise of a prayer request. It can happen all the way in between those things. This attitude that I have to take what I need for life because all there is is what's been made. And that's not true. What's made is not all we need and it's not all that we've got. We're not bound to the creation because the Creator has extended Himself to us. Even though we don't deserve it and He's done it through Christ. So as believers in Christ, it is our joy, our privilege, our place of freedom to give of what's been made, both to give life to others and to experience the life that is ours. That, that perspective, that perspective that says, no, we don't have to take, uh, we, we don't have to take to get life. We have the opportunity to give, to give life to others is bound up in the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. That's the beginning of the passage this morning that we want to look at in 1 John 3. We want to look at chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. I almost missed verses 19 through 24. When I wrote out my plan for 1 John, I did not include verses 19 through 24 in it. And that's not because I was trying to avoid it. I just completely missed it. And Chris pointed it out to me within the last couple of weeks. And I'm very grateful because I might have missed it entirely. And we need it as we need the rest of the book. John will describe in this passage, verse 11 really is the, the summary of the passage, that we should love one another. And John's going to start with the negative description. He's going, to de- he's going to describe how the world tries to live by taking life from others in verses 12 through 15. Then he's going to describe how believers in Christ give life so that others might have life and how we stand in a place where we are free and safe to joyfully do that even in sacrificial ways. The world tries to live by taking life. Believers in Christ give life that others might live. And then John, very thoughtfully, takes some time to reckon with the fact that we do that on the ground today. We do that in real life. We don't do that sort of 
floating above the reality of the process of change that we're in as Christians. When, when it's your heart to give life to others and to love them in that way, it's possible to become unsettled about how imperfectly you do it. And John wants believers to continue in the confidence that they have life in Christ. He knows that that confidence is strengthened by being able to see that Jesus and the love of Jesus are at work in them in real ways. And he knows it's at work imperfectly. And so he works to bridge that gap in verses 19 through 24. He does it in a way that doesn't make us apathetic toward love, as if we say, oh, okay, well, I guess I, you know, love doesn't really matter that much. He, he really does it in a way that undergirds and empowers love. The world tries to live by taking life from others. Believers live to give life to others, even by giving their own lives. And that happens in real life, in a way that Jesus also provides for. I want to read the passage first. This is 1 John, 11, 1 John 3, rather, verses 11 through 24. If you're using a sanctuary copy of the Bible, this is on page 1022. 1 John 3, starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. One way of stating the original message that John's readers had received, and that we, who are believers in Christ, have received, one way of stating that message is in the way that message is expressed in our lives, and that is that we should love one another. And John flips that coin over and says, here's what the opposite 
way looks like. Here's what love for one another looks like turned inside out. Not, he says, like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Cain is the first child of the world, literally and spiritually. He's, he's the firstborn child who expresses the value system of the world. All I've got is what's made. That really shows up in Genesis 4. You might turn there, very beginning of your Bible. Uh, we, Chris read for us this passage earlier this morning where there's this story of these two brothers, Cain and his brother Abel, and they both bring offerings to the Lord. And Cain brings an offering of the ground, uh, plants, and Abel brings an offering from the firstborn of the flock. And we're told that the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So they both offer a sacrifice, and God accepts Abel's, and he doesn't accept Cain's. And one of the things that commentators and believers wrestle with is the question of, well, why exactly? Why is it that God does not regard Cain's offering, but he does regard Abel's? We find out that it is that, that God does not regard Cain or his offering for the same reason that Cain murdered his brother. John describes why Cain murdered his brother. And he says that in verse 12. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. He doesn't say here, he doesn't say here that Cain's evil deed was murdering his brother, though certainly it was. He says that the reason Cain did that evil deed was because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So Cain's evil starts before the murder, well before. We actually start to see that in verse 5 of Genesis 4. Cain is, is upset that there's been no regard for him or his offering. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. This is the end of verse 5. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. What do we see in that angry face of Cain in response to God's response to him? We see it's, it's not fair. I, I made my payment. I, 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 I paid you. My brother paid you. I paid you. Why don't I get what my brother gets? This is not fair. He did the stuff and it didn't work. And what more can God possibly want? Here, I've, I've made my payment. Cain's heart in bringing his sacrifice from the very beginning is not a heart of trust. He's trying to bargain. He's trying to buy what he wants from God. And when that doesn't work, that's when you get angry. Hebrews 11.4 points out that same difference between Cain's sacrifice and Abel, and Abel's sacrifice. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. 
It's not really a matter of the materials, although perhaps there's a picture of the attitude in the materials. When you bring, at least under the technologies that Abel had available, when you bring an animal, the firstborn, and you sacrifice that animal, the life and the continuity of the life of that animal is gone forever. You cannot reproduce it. So as far as that life is concerned, you are dependent on God to continue giving life to you. You offer plants. We don't know for sure if, if Cain did this. This is a speculation on my part. But if you offer plants, all you have to do to maintain life for yourself is pocket a few seeds. You can reproduce life at that point. We don't know if Cain did that, but we do see a picture of his attitude here. He is trying to make sure that he guarantees life for himself. As he brings this sacrifice, he's trying to, he's trying to buy what he thinks he deserves from God. He wants to pay his dues to secure life for himself, and the payment doesn't go through, and he's angry. He thinks he didn't get what he deserves, what he's paid for, what he's bought, which is not an attitude of faith, of trust in God as the giver of his life. And so here's Cain really beating his head against the inescapable fact that getting life from God requires whole life trust, entrusting yourself to him rather than trying to buy things from him. And he can't escape that. Somehow, deep inside himself, he knows that he can't get life for himself. Someone needs to die. God had warned Cain about where this would go for him if he was not very careful. He tells him, in Genesis 4-7, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin, he says, wants to eat you. Not literally, not as in like physically, but it wants to consume you. And its favorite way of doing that is by deceiving you. Its favorite way of doing that is by offering you a pathway to life. If it can give you a false pathway to life, it will consume your life in the process. It's a master deceiver, and so it says things like, there's only so much to go around, Cain. Only so much approval. Only so much provision. And who's taking it all from you? answer is obvious. Who got the approval? Well, it's his brother. The world looks for ways to get life for itself at the cost of the life of others. And that's exactly what Cain does. So verse 8, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And whose life gets consumed? Well, Abel's life gets spent. Cain's life gets consumed. Look at verse 11, God's response to him. And now, Cain, you are cursed from the ground. His source of livelihood, physical livelihood. You are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
the children of the world and the children of God, who are his children by faith, have been divided from one another ever since. John places his readers in the line of Abel, those who receive life from God because they entrust themselves entirely to his provision of life. He's going to get specific about that. That line is preserved through, the, through faith, through trust in the saving promises of God. And that's even hinted at in what the writer of the Hebrews says about Abel. So through faith, though he died, he still speaks. And the world hates that. The world's system. When I say the world, I don't mean everything on our planet. I mean the system that follows this world's attitude that all we have and all we need is what's been made. With that, we're okay on our own. That world's system hates what Cain still speaks, just like Cain did. And so John tells his readers, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. It's going to happen. You live on the basis of a totally different value system, one that is foreign to that way of thinking. So don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. You don't have to fight back either. We do want to make sure that if the world looks at us and says, you are so foreign that we despise you, that they do it for the right reasons, that they do it not because we're giving them some reason to see that at the moment we're actually being kind of a jerk. We want, if we are going to be hated by the world, we want to make sure that it's because we are finding our life where the world refuses to find life, and as a result, offering it to the world. Whatever the world might do, John says, we, believers in Christ, have passed permanently from death to life, to a place where we can love because we're free to love. Those who try to live by taking life get eaten, get consumed. Sin is crouching at the door, wanting to consume Cain and all those who would follow him, and it will. <clears throat> Everyone, John says, who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That pursuit of life inevitably and always leads directly to death. Jesus takes that and turns it completely right side up. By doing the opposite the exact opposite of what Cain did. And so we see that in verses 16 through 18. As John calls believers to that different way, he starts with the one who started that different way. In By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Children of the world lose their lives when they try to get life by taking life from others. All they can do, all Cain could do was subtract. Even though he thought he was adding to himself, all he could do was subtract. Jesus, by laying down his life, multiplies, gives life to others. He does it at great cost to himself. And the love that does that shows us what real love is. Shows us what real love does. It acts. 
sincerely and in a costly way, sincerely and sacrificially, to give life to others. When, when we see that kind of love, when, when we see Jesus doing that, and we can, we can even say from, from a distance perhaps, that is, that is love that cannot be explained by the world's value system. The love that gives itself up, that, that doesn't try to suck life from others, but that gives itself up to give life to others, that, that cannot be explained by any of our ultimately dissatisfying ways of doing life here. It cannot be. It is better. It's good. And when we look at that and we say that thing that's better, that better way of loving is for us. Look what it has done for us. Look at the life that it has given to us that we could never have gotten for ourselves. Even by our own sacrifice, we could never have gotten it for ourselves. There's really only one appropriate way of responding to that kind of love, to that kind of good. And that way of responding is to say, I want to be like that. When we see good that we can't deny is good, we, that's what we always say. We say, I want to be like that. And that's what we say when we really see this love of Jesus. So the, even the logical response, as well as the personal response, is when we see what we know love by, that Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That may happen for any given one of us uh, in, in, in what's described as the ultimate sacrifice, by actually dying for the brothers. It might. Uh, much more likely it will happen daily in very small ways, or sometimes daily in larger ways, where we're laying down our living life, where we're operating as what Paul calls a living sacrifice because we have seen what real love is like in Jesus. And we say, I, I want to go there with you. John describes really the exact opposite of that in verse 17, where he describes a very, very low bar. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how, how can God's love abide in him? So here's a person who has more than they need, more of the stuff that the world has for just physical daily existence, and there's somebody that they know whose needs they know about, and they say, I don't care. This is all, this is all I've got, and this is all I can get. If you don't have it, it's maybe your fault, but I can't concern myself with it. John says that's totally out of keeping with the love of God that flows through Christ to us and must flow through us as well. That's, that's not a description of somebody who is in Christ. <clears throat> now, between always doing what we were made to do and this very low bar of, of saying, no, I, I don't care if the love of Jesus flows through me. If you have a, a need that's right in front of me right now, you know what, that's, that's none of my business. Between those two things, John meets us really on the ground. And he says this in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So, 
the, the call to love in action and in sincerity, that's nothing new. That's what they've heard from the beginning. It really runs in the, it runs in the spiritual DNA of every real Christian. This impulse to love, this sense that, yes, I, I have seen Jesus and I know him. And I, I don't do it anywhere like I'd like to, but I really, I really do want to love. And, and the first priority of my love is my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where it starts. That's where it must start. And so it runs in our life that we've been given. And at the same time, we know it's not automatic, is it? We do need to be reminded. We, we need to be stirred up to love one another, not only in word, not only by saying that we do, but in deed, in action, and in truth. And so we need to hear this repeated. And there really is something refreshing in the concreteness of saying, let's, let's actually live this out. Because in trying to in trying to wrestle with our own attitudes on the inside, some of us can get really, really, as it's been described, wrapped around the axle. That feeling like, well, do, do I really, do I really love my brothers and sisters? I'm trying to work up love for my brothers and sisters in and of myself. And one of the things John would say is, let's do something. Let's, let's do it. He does say, let's love one another in truth. So in sincerity. And, and so one of the things, as, as we're going to come to the concrete in just a minute, we also want to be watching for sincerity of attitude. Sometimes that's hard to get at. It's hard to evaluate our insides. But one thing for us to watch for is as we take some of these concrete steps to love one another, let's, let's watch for the attitude of Cain. On the other end, as you give, as you sacrifice, that's not always going to end up in the way you might envision when you go give to someone. They may not always respond in the way that you imagine them responding. And you may find yourself on the other end thinking, that's not what I paid for. I was trying to give to this person and, and either they just ignored what I did or maybe they even responded by some way of attacking me. This is not what I paid for. This is not what I deserve. That's the attitude of Cain that is locked into the value system of this world. We don't need to go there. If we find ourselves going there, then we, we need to remember that, that the source of our love doesn't simply come from ourselves. And, and so we are not depending on the responses of those that we seek to love in order for that love to be sustained. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from the world it comes from the God who has loved us in an unlimited way through Christ and who always will. So we want to watch for that. What? Are we angry and does our face fall at times when our acts of giving don't end the way that we would like them to temporarily? Love, John says, in truth, in sincerity. What if you find that your heart is kind of closed to giving? What if you find that you, you don't feel as eager as you would like to to share what you have to meet the needs of those that you're aware of. That you feel farther away from loving in the way that you know you were made to love. 
What helps to unlock that? Well, one thing that helps to unlock that is doing it. Finding ways to do it, even before you feel like you're prepared. Action often follows attitude. So sincere love will act. And it's also true that attitude can follow action. And so even before we feel unstuck in our attitude and we feel somewhat hesitant, sometimes we can just say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to live in, I'm going to love in deed, in action. And just by way of simple reminder, one, one of the kinds of things that we give in order to love in deed is material. We do that material, giving the things that we have in order to help those who are in need. Sometimes in desperate need. It could be that there's nobody in your immediate circles that's in desperate need of the things, uh, the needs of daily life. You might have to look somewhat outside of your immediate current relationship circles to get there. One of the great opportunities to do that is, is the, the, the needs drive that we're participating in to help uh, Lifehouse Maternity Home. Here are ladies who are, who are working to care for their unborn children and then for their born children who have real deep needs. And we want to support that. So here, here's an opportunity, an opportunity both to give, to extend life, to show the love of Christ, and to get a feeling of that love of Christ flowing through you. Maybe, maybe within your immediate circles, there's somebody who's, who's not hurting for daily food, uh, who perhaps can afford diapers for their children, but who's still struggling, who's still struggling materially. COVID has blown up thousands of plans, including financial plans. And so there may be people around you who, 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 who are making it, but perhaps who are facing the holiday season even when financial plans really pinch and they're just in a hard place. It may be an opportunity for you to just step in and relieve, lift some of that burden for them materially might be an anonymous gift where you just say, I, I don't even want them to know where it came from, but I want them to feel the help. It might be a, a gift along with a note that says, here's why we care about you. Here's why we value you. We value you, so, we value you much more deeply than what, what we're giving to you. But we want you to feel that. Uh, we want your burden lifted a little bit during this time opportunities to give for the love of Christ to flow through you and to feel it. That the thing you give might be material. The thing you give to love indeed might also be mental. It might be your it might be your energy. It might be your attention that you give to someone else. There may be people around you who really have no material needs but who really need someone to be there for them, to hear them. Giving your time and energy in order to provide the space to hear what's on someone's heart. This, this can be done in a two-minute situation when necessary. Sometimes that's all we've got with someone. Sometimes all we have is two minutes. And you can give your attention to someone in those two minutes. Whether whether that person is hurting or whether that person is really happy, 
when they hear from you, maybe you've heard from someone else, when you're hurting, that sounds really hard. When, when, when you know that that person means it, you know that you're getting more than words. You're getting an expression of their heart and of their care for you. When you're sharing something exciting and you hear something more than, well, that's neat, here's what happened to me. You hear them say, I'm so happy for you. You know that you're hearing more than words. You're getting more than words. You're being loved indeed, even through their words. We can feel that when it happens. So sometimes it happens in two-minute situations. Sometimes it happens more intentionally in longer-term situations. There is an increasing starvation for the kind of community and communion that says to each of us, you matter. You matter. And one of the ways that we can do that is by getting longer-term intentional and saying, I want to create a space, a comfortable environment, where giving my attention can take a more extended form. Where, where, where I can make space to let someone unleash a flood of words that's been pent up inside them and listen to them. Maybe, on the other hand, it's a space for a series of awkward silences where you allow someone to sort of think in front of you and then give them the space to share what's on their mind. This is, this is a very relevant way for us to give to one another. With all the complexities that come with distancing and, and everything else, there are ways for us to do this, but it does take planning. I do want to mention to you one other way of loving in deed and truth that is very relevant to us, that is very concrete and, frankly, really exciting. Back in January, uh, I presented to you an opportunity to serve students from Southern Seminary who might choose to participate in our seminary support program. There, were, there, there are three different ways we want to do that. One is by financial support, and we have a fund that we're working with to do that. One is by providing ministry mentors for students. We want to provide one of those for each student. The other one is by providing what we're calling family advocates. A family or individual who says to a seminary family or student, I want to be your intentional and strategic friend. And I'm going to care for you. I'm going to watch out for your needs. I'm going to be aware of them. I'm going to help connect you to ways of getting your needs met. I tell you what, when I, when I presented those to you back in January, your response was really encouraging and confirming that, yeah, you know what? We're still waiting on the Lord to do this thing, but he wants us to keep moving forward. And he still does. And I'm convinced of that because the Lord has continued now to provide students for us. Students, you're not goods that have been provided for us. You are people who are precious to us. And we, we want to follow through on these commitments. Now, since January, which feels like about 10 years ago, uh, some things have changed. And there, there, were, there were a lot of people who signed up willing to be mentors or advocates. Not everybody who has had that willingness is currently able. Things have been blown to bits and lives have been changed. So what I want to do today is to reopen the doors for both of those roles. If you are interested in being someone who would come along a student in a simple mentoring format, 
I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're interested in being someone who says, I will sign up as this student's intentional strategic friend. I have just a half sheet that I would love to give you, to give you the opportunity to do this. As of now, we have three families or students who are committed to being a part of this process. That is amazing that the Lord has provided that during this season. Here's an opportunity to love in deed and in truth. I would love to fill you in on how to do that if uh, the time between now and then has, has caused you to say, yeah, yeah, I want to I step in. That's, that's a place where I want to love in deed and in truth. <clears throat> that flows in our DNA. It flows through us. And not perfectly. And so sometimes we'll look at our lives and we'll say, am I meeting all the needs that I know about? Am I meeting them as sincerely as I should? We might look at ourselves and say, gosh, I don't know. How, how can I possibly? What about all the judgment calls of making sure that I'm giving and loving wisely? I, I, I feel so limited in my ability and expression of real love on the ground. There are so many needs. And there's still so much selfishness wrapped up in my remaining mindset. How do I know if I'm really loving in a way that demonstrates that I'm in Christ. John meets us there. He does it in verses 19 through 24. Just briefly. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Here's how we, here's how we do it. So even as, even as there's opportunity to show that the life of Jesus is flowing through us by doing good. If all we look at is the expression in our lives, we're going to find that it's not enough. We need something more than that. Something that's not about us, that's not filtered through us. Here, here's the way that I think is the best way of, of expressing what John means by verses 19 and 20. It's a little bit different than what the ESV wording says. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him whenever our heart condemns us. We'll reassure our heart before him whenever our heart condemns us. By this, colon, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. You don't have to be the one to provide all of your assurance by the way that you love other people. That's not the underlying basis for your assurance. It's an expression of it. It helps to build it, but it's not what it's built on. God knows everything perfectly. He knows what Jesus has done for us. He knows. He knows it perfectly. He is more perfectly and consistently satisfied with everything Jesus has done for you than you are. He knows that he's made us. He knows what he's made us for. He knows what he's doing and he knows how to do it. Using John 15 language, he is the master vine dresser. And so he's the one who knows when, when you're not producing very much fruit, but you are producing some, he knows how to make you produce more. And he knows how to do it gently. So if there's ever a time when you feel like, goodness, I'm not loving enough, I'm about to get nailed. That's not what the vine dresser does to the vine. 
He does prune it. Sometimes that's painful. But he never does it in such a way as to damage the vine. And your father will never bring those needed painful things into your life to help you love more and bear more fruit in a way that damages you. He will always do it in perfect measure, with perfect skill. He knows. He knows everything. He knows better than any of us does what Richard Sibb says. A few grapes will show that a plant is a vine and not a thorn. He knows how to produce more of that love in us. When that happens, when that happens, we have confidence to move forward well. When we say, I don't have to know everything, Father, you do. You know all of this perfectly for me. My confidence is ultimately based on trust in you through Christ. It's at that point that my heart gets quieted. I say, whatever my heart might question me about, I I don't ultimately have to worry about that. God knows everything. He gets the last word. My heart doesn't, so I have confidence to come back to him. And at that point, ask for whatever I want. Whatever I want in the context of saying, The life of Jesus is flowing through the vine to me, and I long for that to flow out to others. There are things that I need in order for that to happen. I need my heart continually changed. I need some resources to be able to offer to others. And we have the opportunity to do that, and we feel the freedom to do it at that point. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And look at the order in verse 23. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's where it has to start, because the second one flows from that. And love one another, just as he has commanded us. Where does that come from? We know when we see it. We know when we see grapes on the vine of our own life, even a few, that it cannot have come from us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him. And he, Jesus, abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us. By the spirit whom he has given us. That's the theme that John is going to take up in the next passage. As we celebrate the Lord's table together, uh, we have so many different expressions of celebration as as we partake of this together. This morning, I want that celebration to be of the fact that the life of Jesus that's represented in this table flows through us and will continue to. And God will see to it that that life produces fruit. So even this morning, as you look at your life, as you take a moment of self-examination and, and, and find those places where it's not, it, the outside is not matching the inside the way that I want it to. Remember that this life continues to flow through you. It didn't start with you. It doesn't end with you. It is going to produce its work in you. So let this be a time not only of self-evaluation, but of celebration for what's to come. Uh, this morning what we're going to do is, is there will be an instrumental that's, that's played for a time. I want to give you a moment to, to, to bring yourself before the Lord, to come forward, to receive one of the communion kits. Take it back to your seat and you can, you can tear the top off and, and be ready with the bread. And then in just a few moments, we will partake together. First, I want to pray. Father, we thank you that we are not 
dependent on ourselves for life. We look to you through Christ for that life. And we pray that you would be constantly reminding us of his life-giving power. That's enough for us. That's even enough to flow through us to others. We pray that your spirit would do this in us. In Jesus' name.